I'm Margaret Mueller, President and CEO of the Executives Club of Chicago, Chicago region's top business forum. Join me on the Executives Exchange as we go deep with some of the most successful executives from the Chicago region and unlock the keys to their success. Trust me, you're going to want to hear this. Today on the Executives Exchange, we welcome Roz Brewer, CEO of Walgreens Boots Alliance, and guest host Dean Harrison, immediate past chair of the Exec Club Board of Directors and CEO of Northwestern Memorial Healthcare. Roz and Dean discuss the future of Walgreens and their mission to reduce healthcare inequalities and the key role technology plays. Tune in to hear Brewer's vision for accessible healthcare in the United States. This episode was recorded in front of a live audience at the Ivy Room in Chicago. So Roz, it is absolutely thrilling to have you here and I've got probably three hours of questions. <laughs> but I was told I have to limit it to uh, just a precious uh, 45 minutes to an hour. But I know we have so many things we're curious about. You know, you've worked for so many amazing companies and Linda did a great job of describing um, in brief a very, very distinguished career that you've enjoyed. What some people might know is that when you were in college, you were actually studying and got a degree in chemistry, and you were thinking you might be a physician. And I'm a little bit you know, hurt that you didn't go ahead and proceed <laughs> with that, so you couldn't be uh, one of our faculty members. But you took a, a research position at Kimberly-Clark. You stayed for 22 years at Kimberly-Clark and moved your way through the company. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about how you were thinking back then and how that experience in education is informing what you're doing today. Right, so it's been a journey and when I hear like the comments from Linda and the statements that you made, it seems like a long period of time, but it went so fast um, when I was being what I call raised at Kimberly-Clark. But you know, for me, I um, just grew up in the math and sciences my entire life. You know, I went to a vocational high school and my concentration was chemistry and biology and so it was just kind of ingrained. And so when I finished um, high school, went to college chemistry major, I just thought, okay, medicine. But then, you know, things got very real for me. You know, my, my parents had five of us in college, you know, um, at one time. And um, that sort of defined what I was going to do next. So med school or do really well in undergrad and, you know, go the career route. So uh, that's, that's ultimately what I did. And so my headset was, you know, something in the sciences. And I thought research, it was a fantastic opportunity for me. And I, I learned a lot. That's awesome. So I know most of us are hoping that COVID's in the rearview mirror and we're not going to talk about pandemics anymore, but we should probably just touch on it a little bit we before should. we start looking forward. So we both uh, worked a lot during the COVID pandemic and it continues for many of the uh, institutions around both for us but for you and others. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about what surprised you most for um, how Walgreens responded and the impact that COVID had on your workforce and on your customers. You know, I think what surprised me most is just how the team reacted to having one singular focus, and that was to get shots in arms. And uh, this team knew that if they did that, they would be saving lives. And so the mission of their work became very clear. 
um, and very important to them because it's, you know, it's in the culture of this company to think about, you know, the patient and the consumer first. And so they got after it. And it was amazing. I joined the company in March of 21, and 30 days later, the team was administering vaccines. Um, and the biggest opportunity for us to find was to find a technology tool to schedule people to get shots. And so our tech team stepped up and our pharmacists were absolutely amazing, but you know, they did what they do best. And so um, very proud moment for this company. Yeah, it's amazing is, you know, one of the silver linings I think for a lot of us was just how our teams came together and they focused on what was at hand. Seamless. Totally. Seamless. Yes. So as you think about other silver linings as you look back, what kind of do you take is from that saying from our former mayor around never letting a good crisis go to waste? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, a couple of things. One, the um, technology that was uh, created during that process has grown for our company, and uh, we can, you know, fully apply immunizations. Um, across any spectrum. Um, I think also too, it raised the relevance of our pharmacist. And so we've always been that early on, you know, neighborhood consultant on health issues for people who didn't have access to healthcare. And so I think now that has just become more present. I think the other thing is that we were very intentional about going into those neighborhoods at risk because we were seeing so many people dying at that point that were people of color and people who did not have access and didn't understand it and were absolutely afraid of the vaccine based on prior issues that had happened in our country from many years ago. But it was top of mind for them. And one of the questions they asked was, you know, were you know, Latinos and African-American people, you know, involved in the, the testing of this? And, you know, one of the things we could not say is that, you know, clinical trials in this country do not involve minorities. Mm -hmm. Just recently women, and we're getting to the point of, you know, having people of color um, be part of clinical trials. So we have started a new clinical trials business at Walgreens. And um, it is, it will absolutely, it will allow access because as you're monitoring any trial that you're in, you know, you're just, we have, you know, all of our stores, they're within five miles of, you know, households that don't have other access. And so you can be a part of the trial. And so we won't have this issue of education. People will feel positive about, you know, taking care of their health and being vaccinated. Yeah, that's amazing. So we'll talk a little bit more about your um, efforts around DEI initiatives because you've got quite sure, a few. We do. But as we still think in this um, post-pandemic uh, period, it's impacted our workforce a lot. And so you've yes. had both. You've had folks in the stores that need to be there because you can't do that remote. Right. And then you've got a corporate group that probably has a blend. How's the pandemic impacting how you're getting your workforce reengaged? Yeah, so this is probably the most difficult time to lead large organizations. And I know I'm like preaching to the choir. I know all of you all in this room have been trying to figure out what's that balance. And you know, we've had all the flexible work arrangements, but one thing that we are definitely keen to is that, you know, our stores are open large hours, right? Long hours. And the people who work the hardest for us on the front line, they're there. 
So, you know, we have a good concentration of people who are still working, um, regardless of where they physically are. They're working really hard to help our stores stay open and our pharmacists, you know, get everything that they need. So, but the real balance is, is trying to make sure that we're thinking about this for the long haul. Because one of the concerns I have in leading my organization is how are the teams being developed? Because I know I gained a lot of my experience from an apprenticeship model, right? And so I watched either the tea leaves in the room, you know, the little elbows, the eye contact, the body language, right? That's a lot of the way we learn. It's a way we learn how to interact with people, grow our teams, and be leaders. Then there is the work that's urgent, you know, that you know you want to just lean over and say, hey, can you just run this number one more time for me, right? Well, if you got to get on the phone, tell somebody to jump on a Zoom call, and then you get the number, you know, hey, that's 15 to 20 minutes here or there. So we are working to make sure that relevant teams are in the office um, when we need them, but we also recognize how much healthier our organization is by giving them the flexibility to say, hey, are there three days a week that's important for you to be here in two days where maybe you're managing your life a little better? And I think that's working for us. Our um, employee engagement numbers are at record highs right now. That's great. So we're just listening to our folks and we're doing it by leader. So I think it's important and I know we've found that it's it's there are still some fully remote types of jobs. Yes. Everything else is flexible in some way. Right, that's so even right. for that pharmacist that's that right. has to be in the store, it's finding a way, yeah. as you say. To and this has forced time. us to, d to really define that. Like yeah. some of our technologists, they're better off. They're always stuck in front of a screen, and a screen can be anywhere. So let's recognize that and let them decide where they want to work. Yeah. So last question for me on the, the pandemic before we start talking about the future is, what were, in your head, some of the lessons learned that you want to carry forward in this new bold vision that you have for the company? Sure, so I think what I really want to carry forward, and I, I know my team, so I have a lot of, can all the WBA people say hello? We have a lot of my good team yeah. here. Hi, everybody. Um, they're fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For them. <laughs> they are fantastic. So, um, you know, what I hope um, we're able to do is to really think about access to health care, first and foremost. And then secondly is for um, us to be able to provide transparency to cost and access to health care because many um, people do not know how to care for their bodies and how to get care and how to get through the system and understand the billing process and you know who to call all of those kinds of things so i hope we can you know really provide transparency and access and that's what we're doing with our relationship with village medical which is a company that we are uh, primary shareholder in, and um, we're building clinics um, around this country. 50% of those clinics will be put in medically underserved neighborhoods with full primary care services. And those are the kinds of things that companies like Walgreens, WBA, we can do that, and we're gonna do that. We're, we're doing it. So let's talk a little bit about the bold vision. So as you think about the next 10 years, mm -hmm. and you think about your updated vision and strategy statement, wanna give us a little background on it? and sure. kind of what precipitated it and how you're driving it. Yeah, so, you know, this came out of study. Um, you know, studying um, our current operating model, you know, being out in the field in our stores, talking to customers, listening to the data that we get, you know, 
Um, a company of our size gets a lot of data every day from all different angles. Some we deliberately bring in through our loyalty program, but do you always really put it in front of yourself and study it and say, so now what am I going to do about it? We did that work. Um, and then we also thought about the future of healthcare. And one thing that we really focused on was we did not want to leave our core behind because it's critical. And so the pharmacists will always be critical to the work that we do going forward. They are our linchpin to that relationship with the consumer. And our whole objective is to consumerize healthcare. And it makes me think of when I was with Walmart stores uh, more than 10 or 12 years in when I first joined that company in 2006. The challenge was how do you provide access to goods anywhere, anytime, any hour, as Amazon was really entering, entering the space. And so it's almost that same situation with healthcare. How do you access healthcare anytime, anywhere you need it and want it at an affordable price that you understand? And so taking those tools and understanding you know, what happened in that evolution and applying it to healthcare is what we are doing right now, in which you'll see us be more of a healthcare services company. And so you'll love your pharmacist as you do now. You will rec recognize the red W um, you know, across the country on doors. So we'll have physical assets. But now you'll see that we can provide services. And those services will look like medical services. They will look like transportation. It will address you know, the food deprived. You know, and all of those opportunities come full circle when you think about our 9,100 locations and what we can do to provide access. So it's consumerizing healthcare and putting a, a very clear focus on health equity. So how do you think about, you know, I'm a healthcare guy. Yes, so you are. How, you figured I'd have to ask this question. I know. So I know. Are, are you going to be doing the hospital inpatient services at some point, too? How does the ecosystem kind of fully come together? So, Dean, I knew you thought I was going to be encroaching on your market. <laughs> I just knew you were going to ask me that question. And all I can say is, good luck. <laughs> Excellent. 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 I th honestly, though, I, no, I really do think there's enough to go around. I mean, you know, this is, this is a big problem to solve for us, right. and hospitals will have their role for absolutely sure. What we want to do is fill in the gaps. This is a fill-in strategy for you, Dean. I appreciate that. How about, <laughs> can we wrap in the pair business as well for this? Oh, boy. You're going to get Are we thinking about the now. insurance business, too, maybe? You know, it's an interesting um, part of um, the process, but we've not made any decisions there. <laughs> in that space. So you just, in addition to um, Village MD, just closed on uh, Shield, right? We did. We did. So what's uh, is that part of this ecosystem? It's a special yeah, part so of this business. Let's let's talk about that because we did back in October of 21. We um, invested or fully purchased uh, three companies. One is Shields Health Solutions, which is a uh, specialty pharmacy uh, company that really works at the hospital level. And when the patient is released and they needed um, maybe a compounded specialty um, pharmaceutical that, you know, is not your normal metformin and insulin and things. It's so things that are specialized. These are the, you know, approaching the chronically ill. Shields comes in and helps make sure that you can, you know, access your, your pharmaceuticals. And then what's the process for getting that done? Because it's not real clear. So they bring clear 
clarity to that from an administrative standpoint, um, but also allowing us to grow into specialty pharmacy, which is the fastest growing part of pharmacy right now. The second company is Village MD, which is a primary care um, unit that you know right now we've built. Uh, there are 300 of those across the United States. About 120 of them are co-located with the Walgreens, and we are purchasing primary care physician practices and placing them. So they bring a panel of patients with them. And so this is a little bit different than Doc in a Box, you know, where you don't know your doc, who's you're not quite sure who's going to be there. These are doctors whose practices are now in our buildings. And then the third company is a company called CareCentrics. Mm -hmm. And CareCentrics actually is uh, post-acute care that will go into your home and do um, diagnostics on what you need once you're released. And what we love about them is their technology because it's all predictive analytics. So if you leave the hospital, you're showing signs of X, Y, and Z. They know what your pharmaceuticals are, what you're diagnosed and what you're taking, and then they predict what you're going to need over a period of time, and they will assess your home, get the right DME in there, um, and then also any other care that you need. And so if you begin to think about that, we're um, approaching a continuum of health care, right? So your, your pharmaceuticals, your primary care, your what happens to you when you're released from the hospital. So you can stitch all that together with technology and really go full circle on behalf of the consumer, so that's that's the objective over the over the next ten years. So so let's go fast forward ten years. Yes, yes. Woke up. How's how's the world changed based on the execution, the wonderful execution, successful execution of the strategy? Otherwise, and I'll still be in business, right? In ten years. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. And, and let, so let me tell you why, though. Seriously, <laughs> I mean, all joking aside, I mean, we can't do this all by ourselves. These, you're going to see some unique partnerships that you'd say, "Wow, I never thought those two would." you know, be in the same place together, right? And so I think you'll have a wow factor because, um, you know, this, you know, healthcare is a national problem. It's big. And um, this country hasn't figured it out yet. And so I think you'll see unique partnerships. I think you'll see um, access. You'll, you know, just as you drive by and you see, you know, your grocery store, your local grocery store, you'll say, okay, and now I need to run in and check my A1C before I get home just to see how I'm feeling, right? So you'll say, okay, I can do all of this in my morning errands, right? And mm -hmm. so I think that's what you'll see 10 years from now. And then we'll get on the other side of care and get to that preventative and wellness. And so, you know, imagine a day where a lifetime fitness and a, you know, a pharmacy are combined, right? And um, and then there's food involved. Right. Could be interesting. Yeah, for sure. So, what do you see as the biggest risk? I think our biggest risk is not getting on the other side of healthcare on the wellness side because we're still in a post-acute model, pretty much in this country, and I think we've got to really begin to think about what does it mean to hit this younger. Right. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to engage food along with exercise and in a different kind of way, right? Um, less dieting, more maintenance, right? And uh, thinking about the growth of plant-based and those kinds of things that help us all feel better. Interesting. So I want to talk about innovation in a second, but before I do, let's talk about advancing health equity. Yes. What do you see, and I think you've mentioned a little bit of it, but you know, what's going to be a driving drumbeat for Walgreens in reducing health inequities? 
Yes, you know, so we saw a lot of it. I think we all did, again, during the pandemic, but it's just been part of our country overall. Um, and in some areas, some zip codes in the United States operate like a third world country, you know, in terms of lack of access. And I just think that that's just ridiculous for a country with this much, you know, opportunity. And so I think for health equity, one, it starts with education so that people feel comfortable and confident, you know, so it starts with, you know, first of all, giving people, you know, knowledge, but then second is rebuilding trust between the patient and the caregiver. And once that trust is there, I think that there is nothing that will stop people from taking care of their health. They'll believe again that, you know, they can be healthy. We're living longer. I can't say we're living healthy longer. We're just living longer. And so what we want to do is to truncate that end of life cycle and make you just as viable. I mean, you know, we're all saying, you know, the new 60 is the new 40, but we really want the new 80 to be the new 60. Let's move all of this down by 20 years, right? And so that's what we should be thriving for. Yeah, totally. So I know we were talking just before we started about some of your involvement in community organizations in mm -hmm. Arkansas, and I know you're involved in a lot of different organizations now. How do you see WBA being involved in community organizations in the various cities that you operate? Sure, so all of our team members have, you know, the ability to engage in their communities and, you know, our pharmacies are not just retail units. I mean, when you walk in there sometimes, you know, our store managers, they're like the mayor of their little, you know, their little county and community. They go way beyond things like the Chamber of Commerce. So we're trying to create those relationships because even with schools and churches, you know, when we were applying all the work we wanted to do around vaccinations, you know, we went to the faith-based organizations and we pulled churches together. We went into, you know, their um, facilities and, you know, set up, you know, immunization tables. And so we have those relationships with them. It starts there, again, back to relationships and trust. People want to connect with a human to know that they have the confidence, right? So the presence of our leadership, you know, above the store level, our regional managers, they're engaged in the communities. Um, we're doing a little bit more um, of that work. We just uh, designated a new leader for our ESG work that we're doing. Um, she'll be based in Washington, D.C., because we're going to start at the legislative level and work it all the way down. Mm -hmm. And so we, we've got, um, we want to play a significant role. How, you know, it makes me think of, we have a lot of pipelines for talent, and you must have the same issue finding pharmacists, finding the various folks that work in your store. Have you been able to pivot to higher hardship communities to try to create those opportunities, or how, how do you think about trying to use the, the resources and the capabilities of a WBA to actually create jobs and so, things. So, you know, we'll, we'll need pharmacists for a long time. So we do invest at the college level, you know, scholarship level um, to um, make sure that, you know, we're getting people through the pipeline. Um, same with primary care physicians, right? There's, there's a limited, there's an absolute number of those. And so it's starting at that groundwork and, um, and moving them through and then providing development along the way. Um, it's great to see, you know, pharmacists are PharmD, you know, so they have a PhD in pharmacy. And so we want to make sure that they can operate at the very top of their license because at some point, you know, they get into heavy issues like just dispensing drugs every day, but we have 
have just recently put in, um, we're close to about 20 units of a fulfillment center that'll take a large number of our routine prescriptions out of the pharmacy oh, wow. and they'll be done off-site. I think we have about 10 of those facilities operating right now um, and we've appropriated for 18 at this wow. point. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor, Sure. Audio equipment for the Executives Exchange podcast is provided by Sure Incorporated. When your team is depending on you for information and motivation, you can't afford to sound anything less than clear and confident. For nearly 100 years, performers and world leaders have depended on Shure microphones. Whether you're in front of a camera or behind a podium, Shure lets you sound extraordinary. Welcome back. So let's let's pivot a little bit to innovation. So you just hired a CIO, and they've got healthcare retail experience. Mm -hmm. What should we be seeing since I'm a Walgreens customer? I've got your app downloaded on my phone. Yes. What am I going to see different? When's yeah, it going to come so to my phone? There'll be a few things. So a, a couple of things. So part of this healthcare piece, you know, you have to enable it with technology so that, you know, you can, us as consumers can kind of know what's happening to our lives, right? So um, the new CIA, CIO is joining us, but we also changed at the board level. Um, our uh, finance committee just became finance and technology, and we've added a technologist to our board, a leading technologist to our board. So we're starting at the top. And and what you will see is a couple of things is um, of all the things I described to you, we have not quite finished the technology enablement that ties all that together. So you'll see a tie together of the loyalty program, uh, my Walgreens, all the way through to um, what happens to you through Village and other aspects of our healthcare continuum. So that's one piece. The second piece you'll see is a lot more automation in our stores. So everything behind the counter of where the pharmacist is, that's all being automated. So this organization started that well before um, I got here, but now we're at the point of rolling it out, and what we really want to see is a strong product, a viable product, that allows us pharmacists to do less administrative work. So you'll see a lot more technology in our stores and automation. Wow, that's terrific. I'm not, ah, there we go. There's, I was wondering if the system was working. What are the three things you would ask of this group to improve health equity in Chicago? Mm. So that's a good question. I think um, a lot of you all I've seen out in the community, and you're you're trying to get it done, um, you know, in different aspects. I think one thing is uh, for your employee base, um, recognize that your employees, um, you know, when we select our um, our our health insurance plans, make sure that they represent people who are on all ends of your income levels in your company, right? And so that your health insurance is representative of that. I think second, I think it's um, important to think about, you know, how to support alternative, you know, ways to provide healthcare um, and be amenable to, to that. Like for instance, you know, when you um, want to use or, you know, your children's schools and things like that for easy vaccinations, encourage them to use alternative methods so that people just get into the rhythm of taking care of themselves. I think that's really important. And then I um, also just say, you know, be part of the process. There's some issues coming from a legislation standpoint that I think, you know, so watch the ballots 
um, vote smartly for um, growth in healthcare initiatives. And I think, you know, we don't pay enough attention to that. We all show up for all the big races, but pay attention to changes in legislation around healthcare. It really, they, it really does matter for those communities. I agree. I, I think just asking the questions you were asking, we have a large social determinants of health activity, a pilot going on in our institution, and just asking the question, do you have a roof over your head at night? Yes. Do you eat regularly? Right. Just asking those questions, you'd be surprised the type of answers you would not Absolutely. expect you might hear. A lot of people don't take advantage of health care because they can't get off work, they don't have transportation, and they don't have daycare to take care of themselves as a parent, and then they can't take the kid out of school without you know, some disruption to the family as well. Yeah. Here's another one. How can WBA improve the health care literacy conversation in communities of color? being more proactive versus reactive to disease states most prevalent in those communities. Yes, absolutely. I think um, one of the things that we also um, learned is how important there's some, you know, adjacent community organizations like, um, you know, the, the Divine Nine, the um, historically black sororities and fraternities around the country actually have a health component to all of their strategies right now. And so for WBA to partner with them alone, I mean, there are large chapters all across the country, across those nine organizations. That's one way to come in. And then also in the Latino community, same thing. And so we've got to get into our communities and find those leaders and partner with them. So let's, um, while I'm waiting for other questions to come in, let's talk a little bit about you. Oh. <laughs> so you're known for your commitment to mentorship. Who were your mentors? Oh, boy. Um, so for me, um, it's, um, I've been really fortunate. There are some that have been with me for a very long time. Either I won't let them go or I need a lot, one of the two. But um, early on in my career, um, you know, I was that person who um, really didn't seek out a mentor because um, I was too bashful, shy, felt like my voice didn't matter. And there was uh, one gentleman who tapped me on the shoulder, and he actually was a leader at Kimberly-Clark. And um, I think he saw something in me and began to kind of watch over my career in the best of ways. And he's still a very, very good friend of mine. His name is Robert Abernathy. And he was group president at that point. And then eventually, I moved up and became group president. And it was um, because of him, he really shepherded me through uh, me coming out of a shell, I would say. And so I would say Robert Abernathy is one. Indra Nui is a very good friend. She calls me when she reads something or if I've done something bad. <laughs> she will say, not good, Roz. Pull that one back. And so by that time, it's done. But I try and clean it up. But so Indra watches over me. Um, I will say, you know, locally here, my very, very good friend, Melody Hobson, um, is a very good nudge. You all know the strong personality of Melody. Mm -hmm. uh, she was chair of the board at uh, rising to um, chair of the board at Starbucks. So very good friend. So who do you seek out for advice these days? I mean, company's huge and yeah. you've got this bold agenda. Who's kind of in that world of... In that space. Yeah. You know, I would tell you it's, um, first of all, my 19-year-old daughter because mm -hmm. she will tell me when she sees something, when she's in stores or, you know, what she's hearing competition is doing or if I show up on the internet and my shoes are raggedy, you know, she does it all. So my daughter, who's a sophomore in college, keeps me pretty cleaned up. Um, but I will tell you that um, now I have made some relationships 
that um, I will tell you my old friends at Amazon mm. because um, they're making you know some moves into healthcare you know and so we laugh and, and chuckle about it but um, you know they're cheering me on but also watching carefully so I have some good friends there too. That's awesome. I think about them a lot. So I know you met your husband in college. I did. So you have two kids actually. Mm -hmm. I think how do you balance you know you've been wildly successful in these really big companies Companies. How do you keep it together? How do you balance your professional life, your personal life, your own health? Yeah, you know, um, at some point I had to learn how to say no um, to things because, you know, with this oppor these opportunities, wonderful things come, you know, to bear. You know, invite to the Grammys, which is like on my bucket list. I've turned it down all the time, you know. Um, so learning to say no is helpful for my family. Also to almost creating a, a contract. You know, my kids are both athletes going through school, double athletes, and you know, what game's important? Where do, where do I need to show up? And those were non-negotiables for work. It's like, Cameron needs me at this place, so I, you know, I had to clear the calendar. So having sort of a, a you know, contract with your family. Um, that's helped. But, and then there's just the priority. I really enjoy my family. Mm. And so um, if I have the choice, that's where I really want to be. Yeah. And so it gets real easy for me to prioritize them. They are a load of fun. So do you spend a lot of time with the family at your home I in do. Colorado? Yeah, so here's what I, I, I love about being in Chicago. So I'm from Detroit, Michigan. And all of my siblings, I have three sisters and a brother that still live in the Detroit area. And this is the closest I've lived to them since I was 18 years old. Wow. So I jumped from here over to Detroit to see them. And for me, that's everything. I've not been able to, and I'm the youngest of five. So they're, you know, they're getting to a point where we need to spend time together. So that's good. So my siblings are important to me. And then, you know, because I have a son in New York, my daughter is in LA. And, you know, so we, Colorado is a place that we love. It's a lot of outdoors. And so that's our, that's our happy place is Colorado. That's where we meet up most times. Like 300 days of sunshine a year, right? Yeah. Like and the summers are better than the winter. Yeah. Really <laughs> like nice. Well-kept secret. Yes. So another question came in, Roz. Um, you've certainly got up to speed quickly on healthcare. How has your retail expertise served you as you think about healthcare? Yeah. You know, it's funny because, um, Okay, a little secret here. I was doing my performance evaluation for the board this week, it's due this week. And it was all about healthcare, and I was like, I'm a retailer, like, where is my retail <laughs> stuff? Right, but I just jumped into this thing, and um, the healthcare part has been so important that, um, you know, I haven't, you know, uh, had to use a lot of it. The other thing I will tell you is that the Walgreens team in retail is very strong. Um, joining me today is John Stanley um, in his team are here, and so they've run the Walgreens U.S. business very well, and so I didn't need to when you got a good team. Um, but I will say what I am transferring is the uh, what I talked about earlier, the digital revolution that happened mm -hmm. in retail. I hope to transfer that to healthcare. So we spent a lot of time thinking about this question, and audience um, asks you, how do you see the role of the pharmacist evolving? So you can yes. fill in the blank, nurse, doctor, pharmacist. Yes, so you know, I think pharmacists are um, really going to go in so many different directions. Um, I think they're they're learning much, much more about the care of the patient. Um, and actually, you know, think about they're usually the first person once a diagnosis has been 
been made. So first of all, they've got to understand the care that they need to, the demeanor that they have, that interchange that they have personally. Um, I think that part is growing. They won't be that heads down person that's you know counting out pills. Um, those days will be over. They'll be consultants. They'll be friends of the friends of the patient. Yeah, now, you, you often think about the disintermediation of these activities, and we often hear of that role's going to go away. It's no not. way, no way, no, it's not going to go away. There'll be some things that will um, make their jobs better. They'll love their jobs better once we automate some things, but they won't go away. Okay, this is the traditional question that comes to every CEO in, in your uh, position. So how are you sleeping, and what's keeping you up at night? <laughs> sleeping. Okay, so, um, you know, I really strive for that six hours, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's good. I know it should be eight, Dean. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we'll I get my executive physical is at Northwestern, so he probably knows more about this, about me than I realize. But, um, you know, um, I am, I'm a morning and a night person, so sleep is, you know, okay, I got work to do on the sleep piece. But I do manage eating and exercising a lot better now. I mean, because I'm very deliberate, and I'm an empty nester now, so I have... No excuses. So you uh, early morning exercise, late at night exercise? No, no. Um, mornings on the weekends, evenings in the weekdays. Okay. And yeah. what's the uh, favorite gym piece of equipment? Elliptical for me. The elliptical. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Because okay. you can get on it, headphones, you know, five songs, you know. Okay. You're good. So do you have a custom playlist? I do. I have a custom playlist. Sometimes I just pop on some of the fitness. The fitness, you, there's some really good ones out there. Mm -hmm. um, so I do those every now and then just to kind of break it up. But I do a custom list. Okay. Cameron, so, my daughter does my custom list. Just, <laughs> <you know. laughs> and, and is there one song in that list that you just kind of, that's the rock song that you yeah, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's Mary J. Blige. Uh-huh. Because um, I want to be Mary one day. I think she's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, and she, there's this one song, uh, Just Fine. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's good. That's my favorite. So um, what's the best career advice you've ever received from someone? Mm. Um, I, there, there's one really significant piece of career advice, and that's around um, managing integrity. And um, you know, having been in this corporate world for a while, you'll see some good examples and some very bad examples. And so um, I've been able to see those happen and play out in real life and decide what kind of leader I wanted to be. And I'm grateful for some of those bad examples. Yeah. One of the things that uh, we talk about when we onboard new staff is integrity is about what you're doing when nobody's watching. Exactly. It's, it's white or black, it's not gray. I tell my team that all the time. Make the decisions that you would make as if no one was. Exactly. Yep. So we're going to go with a lightning round to wind this up. So these are okay. real easy questions, top of the head, but I know a lot of folks are going to want to know, and there's one in particular that I want to know. Okay. So Cubs or Sox, you now live in Chicago. Cubs. Cubs. All right. Binge television or the series that you just really can't turn off? I'm not a big TV person. Any movies, series? Marvel movies. Marvel movies, yep. okay. Yep. It's the first thing you look at in the morning. What's the first read? Newspaper, email, what do you first look email. at? Email. Email, okay. Yeah. Favorite weekend activity, I think we already heard. Yep, elliptical in the mornings, yep. Okay. And coffee, uh, and caffeine coffee. helps. Caffeine helps, and my personal favorite, what's your favorite color? 
Green. And if, what? Green. Sorry, is it should be purple for Northwest. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's green. Yes. Well, listen, this has been fabulous. We'll work on the purple part later. Yeah. <laughs> this has been fabulous. Thank you Thank so you. much for being with us. That's all for today's episode of the Executives Exchange, sponsored by Shure Incorporated. Thanks for listening. If you have Chicago speakers you think we should cover, please send us an email at media at executivesclub.org. The Executives Exchange is a production of the Executives Club of Chicago. Audio equipment for the Executives Club podcast is provided by Shure. Whether you're making a point or making history, Shure lets you sound extraordinary. It's written by me, Margaret Mueller, produced by Eva Pinar. Research and support from the staff of the Executives Club of Chicago. We appreciate you subscribing and reviewing the show from wherever you listen. Feel free to follow the club on Twitter at Exec Club and on LinkedIn. If you have more questions or are interested about becoming a member at the Executives Club of Chicago, check us out on the web at executivesclub.org.